Hello and welcome back to the How The Fuck podcast. It's been nearly two months since we've had an episode. I've been enjoying living in Melbourne a bit too much and focused 100% on delivering client work, the newsletter and LinkedIn content alongside that, but I kind of let the podcast slip recently. However, I've got a few 2023 case studies in the backlog and 2024 is around the corner, so I'll be getting the last few episodes out before year end and then season three can start. So... In this podcast, you're going to hear such a cool story from the San Francisco-based Aditya Vampati, who is currently VP of Marketing at MoEngage and the ex-VP of Marketing for various US SaaS brands. The story we talk about in this episode is actually from 2015, but like all my case studies, the lessons you'll learn about SEO and marketing growth are enduring, or we translate them into what will work today for you. So in this episode, you'll learn about a company called Amplitude Analytics, where Aditya headed marketing in 2015 and 2016. He helped them grow from 1.6 million annual revenue to 17 million in literally 16 months, which is wild, but also more wild when you realize their category term, which is product analytics, had zero search volume when they started. Aditya and his team executed a holistic growth strategy that leveraged other keywords in the space that his target audience would search for to create demand for a brand new category of products. This one will be especially interesting for those working in SaaS businesses right now. Um, It's all about how to build demand for a technology company. But as always, there are going to be some unique and inspiring marketing lessons for everybody. Premium subscribers can expect a write-up on this case study in their inbox this week. And to all listeners, I hope you enjoy the episode. Hi, Aditya. Welcome to the podcast. It's so great to have you on here. Thanks, Ben. I'm excited to be on here and uh, share whatever knowledge I can to other uh, potential SEO experts that are in the works and blossoming. You've you've had some like really great, you've worked at some really great places. You've got some really cool growth stories. I think the one we're basically going to focus on today is like you were head of marketing at Amplitude back in like 2015, 16, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, and and saw that company scale from like 1.6 million ARR to like 17 million ARR in 16 months, which is, yeah, yeah, it's quite insane. So we're going to dig into that. And I think also you and I both agree where that SEO can create demand, which what a lot of people you see on the internet and a lot of talking head influencers and things seem to not necessarily agree with that and treat SEO purely as a, as a demand capture channel. So I'm kind of looking forward to getting into that and focusing on that. Before we do though, before we jump right in last week on the podcast, or maybe two weeks ago, by the time this comes out, I started a new tradition, took a little get to know you round. I'm going to ask you a load of questions and you can just answer. It's essentially yes or no, but it's not. It's like this or that. So I'm just going to go through yeah. these. I'm going to get to know you. Okay. Okay. First question, pineapple and pizza, yes or no? Yes. Yes. Me too. Okay. Fizzy water or still water? Oh, fizzy water all the way. <laughs> Ketchup or mayo? Ketchup. Okay. Coffee or tea? Tea. Nice. Unusual for American. Okay. Vacation or staycation? <laughs> oh man, this is a tough one. Uh, let's go with vacation. I, I, I like staycations, but more and more I want a vacation these days. <laughs> uh, wine or beer? Wine. Nice. Beach or countryside? Oh, countryside. Yeah. Nice. Um, Twitter or LinkedIn? Ah, oh, Twitter before Elon, LinkedIn now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's the right. <laughs> okay. Final question. Would you rather have a day in with a book or a day out doing like adrenaline junkie sports? 
Oh, adrenaline, adrenaline junkie sports. Yeah, nice. It's, uh, it, it's my high. It's how I, it's how I, uh, make things happen. <laughs> and what, what kind of things would you do? Like, are you doing sports wise? Oh, I mean, snowboarding, skiing, um, tennis. I started actually, um, I, I fly drones on the side like, I'm not a pro or anything, but I fly my drones and footage and whatnot. Um, so what, so what are you working on like right now? Like what's your, um, your current day day job day to day yeah you know i have the privilege of leading the marketing organization at unit 21 and we're building out the team to really focus um on helping risk and compliance professionals catch bad actors with data and you're not know, going to try out what unit 21 does but the real focus and why there's a mission behind it which is stopping money laundering stopping fraud and money laundering is a word but it represents like um sex trafficking child labor terrorism climate change and um, mass consumption of drugs. And also the other side, fraud, everyday people like me and you being impacted, not being able to have access to money uh, based on someone being able to find our information and hack these accounts. Um, so there's a lot of bad actors and it's really fun working on things to go, you know, stop those bad actors and giving professionals the tools to do it without having to spend so much time worrying about the back end engineering side, but being able to just execute, iterate rules without having to do code or, or rely on engineering resources. Yeah, that's awesome. Let's go to the story. So we want to go back all the way to the, yeah, 2015, 16, with your story with yeah. Could you like lay it out for me? Like, what, what did you do there? What's exciting about this growth story? Yeah, what what did you do? Yeah, I mean, so started Amplitude roughly around late July, early August 2015. And at the time, they were a Series A company. Um, we had roughly about maybe 1.6 to 1.7 million ARR, about 20 people, right? Relatively small company. Our biggest competitor at the time was Mixpanel. And so you can sit there and, and you know, the thinking for me always is don't worry about your competitors. Um, because if you look at them, you're only going to do as good as them or maybe a notch below. Like think of things you do outside. Think of things that the customer really cares about. And I don't mean like what they want to buy. I'm talking about the need behind the need, actual pain that they're trying to solve. And so while I was at Amplitude, we were able to go from high level notes, like 1.6 to 1.7 million AR to about 16, 17 million um, by the time that I left. And this was roughly in 16, 17 months. Mm -hmm. And the reason like, you know, that's great. Oh, how did you do it? Those questions all arise. And the biggest reason and why we were able to do it came down to two key factors, one, we identified the need behind the need very quickly. Mm. And the second is we used channels that were untapped to an audience that wanted to learn. And we found the niche audience to drive demand creation. Mm. And so it's like, oh, what does that translate into? Well, the need behind the need, we did a few surveys. We understood the prospect's pain and realized retention is what matters and why. At the time in 2012 through I'd say 16, there was this entire demand capture mode of where it was all about how many users can you get into the app? How many signups could you get? How many users could you acquisition? What people didn't realize was when we did a survey and found out on the back end, this is startling, is 80% of the users you acquire churn in three days after acquisition. Yeah, so everyone's going crazy on on like acquisition. And what someone like Mixpanel back then was helping you analyze like acquisition. Oh, yeah, okay. Mixpanel back then was like, oh, how many people use the app? What do they do here? How many new users did you get? And so the reason we competed with them, and I don't want to focus too much on them, but the reason we competed with them is 
they were they came to market early. They were very a web focused tool, and Amplitude was just starting out in the days of mobile focused. Mm-hmm. And so the shift there, from a technological perspective, changed things because acquisition for mobile apps is very different than web viewing and coming onto a website and clicking on something. And that's where retention wasn't a focus yet, but we found that that was the problem. And once we identified that that was the problem, we started going after a category that supports those people that care about retention, which was product managers and realized, hey, product managers don't have analytics the way Google Analytics is there for marketers. And they don't measure the same things marketers do. And, and this is where I like to say, you know, we started thinking about demand creation happening. We started focusing on product analytics and what it means and, and took the pain of retention to spearhead that charge of demand capture, as well as demand creation happening in parallel tracks. So, so were people before this, like there was a group of people worrying about attention, but they just, uh, retention, but they just weren't being served by any kind of analytics tools. That's right. Um, it's, I said it was the rise of mobile, right? So the mobile use cases were just being flushed out. And that's why you had it early on where it's like, Oh, got to get users, got to get users. This is how many users are acquired, but no one was thinking about what is the value? Like the product marketer uh, managers were, and the growth managers were starting to think about it. And then they were like, wait, I don't have tools that serve me. I can't go to Google and look at my retention numbers on mobile. Like it just doesn't work. So then like, I need something that does it. And then like, sure, I can use Mixpanel, but Mixpanel doesn't tie the mobile and the web user together yet. They hadn't gotten there. Whereas like Amplitude does that, but we didn't talk about it that way. We talked about, hey, track your user across the web or mobile app. Yeah, obviously you can do both. Why wouldn't you be able to? (laughs) Um, (laughs) But the bigger thing, even before they got there was like, hey, are you thinking about retention? Like you're spending all this money. Are you tracking how that money is playing out through the funnel? Like, how are you as a product owner measured on your success? And what are the metrics that you're monitored on? And retention should be one of them because just because a user comes in, if they don't get value, they're going to leave in three days. Mm-hmm. 80% of them leave in three days. Yeah, I think one of the, the amazing things about that story so far really is that you've, you were able to like identify a new problem and then I guess sort of pivot around it, like ch- channel your marketing into that new problem yeah for anyone listening like is there any telltale signs that their company product marketing is focusing on the wrong problem and also like you said you did a survey was it that is it that simple how how did you how do you find yeah (laughs) (laughs) i mean you know i i obviously these podcasts we try to you know highlight the beauty of what we found and how we just did it and we just understood it and man, you can do it too, right? And you can do it, don't get me wrong. (laughs) But the work is really critical, right? Um, Yeah, I just did a survey and I found out, but the thing was that I did like three surveys before that to finally get to the need behind the need, right? I can sit here and regurgitate only the highlights, but the other surveys that we did, we first started just with like a baseline of analytics. What are you trying to do? Um, What's your role? And for us, actually, like at Amplitude, we were actually trying to sell to the data scientists before. We weren't finding much traction and then all of a sudden, we ended up talking to the product managers. And the product manager's like, oh, man, I can't rely on the data science team to get me what I need. Mm-hmm. And what is it that you need? Well, I want to know what the users are doing. I know I got them, but the data science team gives me information. A week later, I have two more questions. And I don't know how to answer those two questions without going back to them and waiting another two weeks. By that time, those questions are irrelevant. And like that's like the first sign that we found, like, oh, data science is when we should go after product managers are because they're an underserved need. Great, so now we know the audience, right? 
So that was like the first survey it gave us the audience and the audience expressed the need. But why did they have that need was the next survey. I was like, oh, well, I'm trying to understand how users use my product. These are the core metrics and KPIs that I care about where acquisition was one, retention was one, conversion was one. And then like that was the second survey. And then like the third survey was finally like, okay, what is your acquisition? What is your acquisition strategy? What do you say when you mean retention? How are you measuring retention today? And then we unlocked the pain. It took like multiple efforts. It's like peeling back an onion. One survey didn't do it, but we were getting more data to understand how many layers there were to this onion and what does the surface area look like that we can talk about. Mm-hmm. And that actually allowed us to start going from demand capture, which we were doing, to demand creation. At any given time, only 5% of your market is ready to make a purchase in the current quarter. And that's the demand capture side. But the long-term market means there's 95% of people who are not ready to make a purchasing decision that you need to make sure that you're top of mind for. And the one thing that people often, you know, going back to there's no silver bullet, but there is a foundational framework shift and thinking you can put in place around how do I think about prospects problems and what the need behind the need is that they're looking to solve. And as, as you can start taking that, articulating that, you can start creating demand as a result of it. And that's what going back to Amplitude, we did is we we understood the need behind the need and realized how that need influences the business and the role and started crafting content to influence that that resulted in demand capture and then demand creation happening as well. So is when you first started out on this new like shift, the new kind of focus on this new problem, was there like less than 5% demand already to capture? It was like, you had to yeah, start, I, start with zero kind of thing. And- I mean, I can tell you, right. Um, I'll give you an example. When we first started on a monthly average, we were getting in 150 new leads a month mm-hmm. that were product folk. And this is when we were like talking about analytics as a whole, talking about what analytics lets you do. Then as we shifted our message more towards retention and start introducing the concept of product analytics, Within that 17-month window, we went from 150 leads coming in to 2,400 leads a month coming in. And were these um, what you would consider like top of funnel, like downloads on your product analytic books or like that kind of stuff? Yeah, that's right. They're top of funnel. It was on product analytics. It was the reports we did. It was the uh, webinars we're conducting on retention. It was the one-pager guides we would include in blog articles about retention. And so just everything started clicking. Also events that we were doing around retention and mm-hmm. driving growth and it started all playing in. And that's where we're like, oh, wow, we're seeing an upward tick here. And then also like, how do we start thinking about what it means and who's going to use this? And that's where we started really putting forward. There was no traffic for the term product analytics. And yeah, there was no traffic. There was, we laugh maybe a thousand visitors a month on product analytics. If we're lucky, maybe a thousand. Um, and so then we started, you know, using retention, linking that to product analytics and using retention as a, as a common demand capture to demand creation term. And that really like allowed us to kind of be like, oh, you're thinking about retention. Let's go and think about what retention fits into. What's the bigger picture. And that's where we are like, oh, and Back to your point, there was an unmet need, an underserved market mm-hmm. that was like, oh, this makes sense. This is my problem. You understand me. Uh, this resonates with me. Let me learn more. Back to your point of they aren't ready to make a purchase, but man, 
they love reading and understanding you're delivering value to them that you're really like talking about their problem that they're dealing with and that they can trust you. Mm -hmm. So when they are ready to make a purchase, the demand has been created in their head for you. Nobody yeah. else, but for you. What what I actually like love about all of this is that you're able to like, having worked in like different software companies and like marketing teams, I know how hard it would be to like identify you have a traction problem and then build an entire marketing strategy around a new complete problem that you found and then like actually have an enough, enough alignment to execute like webinars, SEO, like all of this for like the next 60 months. I know I can imagine how shifting into a new category is like quite, it's quite a massive move, regardless of all the results and the stuff it had, like the alignment that you must've had and like flexibility. Yeah, yeah, I definitely had the alignment, definitely flexibility because, you know, I'll go back to a fun point. Uh, Necessity is the mother of all invention, right? Uh, And I say this because take a guess how much uh, CPC back then, 2015, cost per click was for the term analytics, or mobile analytics, just just take a guess. <laughs> actually, I actually have no idea. I think you told me this before it, as well. I forgot. <laughs> yeah, it, it's mind blowing, right? We're, remember, we're a Series A startup. We raised ten million dollars. Other analytics players have way more money. They're ahead of the game. It was sixty eight dollars per click, just to get what so, on, on the term product analytics. No, um, on the term mobile analytics. And so like you're paying $68 for one click. It generally takes 30, 40 clicks to convert someone to say, I want to take a demo. So now you're looking at roughly $2,400 per single lead that may take a demo. And then you do the numbers that go down and it gets expensive quite fast. Like, what do you do? Do you play this game when you're not as well-funded or what other games are there to go play that you may not have to invest monetary resources, but you can invest human resources that builds a bigger moat to where your brand and category creation is going. It's uh, it's like, do you eat junk food or do you eat kale? And do you eat, take your protein shake and go to the gym? So there's like actual gain, right? It's kind of like that. That's how I think about it. But it's smart though, because you could, you can either like stand in the middle of a crowd and like shout and or or you could just go like stand somewhere else where you look really good and you have less competition and people see your value and but you have to identify an unmet need i guess to be yeah. able to do that definitely smart Re- relating this back to seo then how did you go about like creating shifting into that category creating demand i know we talked about that kind of like hijacking basically yeah yeah so i think like really what you want to do is as i said like first understand the need behind the need what is the need they're looking for what is that they really have a problem with and how does that tie to their careers as well as back to the company metrics that they're tracked on and so once you start like getting that then what we really did was like okay why is retention something that matters and how do people look at retention it's kind of like you find this word, right? If you look in, I, I think about in the SEO term of like, I have a word, it's called retention. Mm-hmm. So how do I, A, understand why retention matters? So what is all the inputs into retention? And then like, what are all the levers that retention can do where it's like, oh, I have a user in here. How do I think about retention? Day one, day seven, day 14, day 30. How do I measure it? What are ways I can measure it? What are ways that work in one industry, like if I'm like a food delivery app, what is my retention window versus like a ride hailing app like Uber? Starting to really take that term, dissect it into what it means to each type of product manager in different verticals. And that doesn't say you write an article saying, 
you as a product manager should think about retention like this. If you're doing ride hailing, it's more like, Hey, retention matters. And it's used in different ways in different industries. It's more of taking a step back approach that talks about the granularity of it. So the entire theme comes back to the SEO side of we'd focus on what do we write that educates the audience and what are the different ways the audience wants to be educated on this term. Mm -hmm. And that's where our content would come out and we'd really focus. So it's like, I have this word retention. I want to understand how to do it for XYZ terms. Cool. Who's the audience and how do I link it back to our product analytics category? And so what we started doing is just like every single possible way retention could be thought of and came up, we did blogs on it. And so then Google started being like, oh, wait, they're the domain authority on retention. <laughs> mm -hmm. And what we did also that really helped get those early wins is we tied it back to where people were thinking about retention was mobile analytics. So retention for retention's sake is like a shift to nowhere, right? You want to know why it matters in the area that it matters. And people in mobile analytics were very focused on retention. And so as a result, we started ranking higher than Amazon in the number one search term for mobile analytics based on the SEO content we developed, because we really thought of all the facets of mobile analytics. Retention was one of them. Engagement was one of them. We wrote a holistic view and started ranking literally number one for it. And then our retention term also started going up retention for mobile analytics. And constantly we tied in product analytics to both of these themes. So it was like a long-term view of like, constantly heartbeat and hitting and hitting and hitting. And we didn't know if it would work or not. Let me be really honest, right? Yeah. It isn't like, oh, I knew it's going to work. No, it's like, look, I have to demand capture and demand creation. I know these terms have volume. So my bet is I can capture things right now and then create demand because I'm capturing things right now. Google recognizes my authority on the current terms. So it's going to give me authority on my future terms. Mm. Can you show me, Can would you mind showing me like one of these articles that you made? Yeah. Yeah, let me uh, find obviously, it right now. Obviously, things might have changed in the last four years, five years. Actually, oh, I'm yeah, I'm pretty sure. I think like the the rankings that we had actually no, it's still there. If anyone's listening, I'm like I'm, I might put this on YouTube as well. So go to YouTube. Yeah, or, or I, we can describe it too. So looked up mobile analytics, right? And if you look, no ad, number one search term. So before, and, before that had an ad, like with the very expensive cost. Yeah, time. before this had an ad, it'd be at the top and you'd be paying $68 for a click if you're looking for mobile analytics. <laughs> and so we we click into it. It's the number one thing. We talked about the basics. These are all things that we sat and did this, like behavioral cohorting. This is an article we literally wrote and talked about what behavioral cohorting has. And we had screenshots from our product and talked about how cohorts can help you understand retention and so you, so how you measure it. You you brought the mobile analytics topic into retention more and more. Um, yeah, that's right. And all the different ways, like even talked about this, right? That's what I was saying. Like, how do you understand mobile behavior and get into retention? And you look at this, right? We start with mobile apps and how to understand behavior. And we took it into user retention, the founder of mobile apps. Right? We started tying it together. We're like, yeah, you're looking at mobile analytics, but guess what? retention matters mm -hmm. wow you've really created like a, like you know, if you think about the kind of like hub and cluster model you've really You're got right. hub, it. hub and spoke you nailed it hub so yeah yeah and then we'd like literally like click into this right this is a great article that we wrote that uh, someone on my team we thought it was like basics of retention the what when why of user retention right this article ranked like you would not believe really and obviously like i said it's connected through the mobile analytics guide 
So people look at this and we're influencing saying, hey, for mobile analytics, you should care about retention. Mm-hmm. And here's all the use cases why. And so this just gets people like, oh, I need to think more about this. And then Google says, wait, they understand mobile analytics and they understand retention. So you start getting the number one ranking. And so others are paying $68 a click. I'm paying nothing. And to get me off this perch, it's going to take everything you have. And even then you may not be able to get me off this perch of owning that number one ranking. So literally before this mobile analytics term, analytics term, people didn't really talk about retention at all. And now you've started talking about something that they really care about with like a huge amount of content on it, like mobile yep. analytics retention. And then towards the end of that journey, right, they've started to understand and learn about your your tool, your software, because you've got it screenshots in there. And they start to yep. think, okay, so Amplitude knows are the tool, the go-to tool for retention for mobile analytics. You got it, right? And that's that's kind of like it's it's marketing the problem and really educating the audience. Yeah, it looks good. Your your content looks good, really well structured. So it's like really well written. Can I ask you a few questions on this maybe about quality, quantity, um, those kind of topics? Like, did you write all of this in-house? Uh, we used agencies and in-house. So like a lot of the technical retention work was done in-house, but then like the basics of what is user retention, where it was more definition mm-hmm. was done outside. Like that that's when we were like the basics, we can have someone else, right? But then like the core retention things we had in-house. So the way we'd focus is we were doing three new blog posts a week on retention, like, sorry, total new blog posts a week. And like two would be focused on mobile analytics as a whole or analytics. And then like one would be written in-house. That was deep, meaty. And that's how we try to production-wise get things out the door. You have two pieces that were just like educational, but not really relating to Amplitude. Then you have one heavy piece that was related to Amplitude and really hit home on what Amplitude is, but not so much on Amplitude, but retention and how you can do retention. And like like you saw, how it can be done through um, Amplitude as a vehicle of it, but you don't have to use Amplitude. Mm-hmm. And so you, and you were trying to create, like, did you set out, like, we want to just cover this topic as a whole and be like the one. Oh yeah. Yeah. That, that part strategy wise, we knew the, the demand creation was there. It was mm-hmm. prime for the taking. And we, we definitely said, this is it. Um, so much so that we actually have a 152 page playbook that we did at my time that was on retention and physical book that we put out. Mm-hmm. And it was called the retention playbook, this audience and the, and the, Funny enough, part of it is we took all the content articles we wrote here and put it in the playbook also as well. So we were able to like put a book around it. We were able to put X around it, like tie it all together. Where did you, um, where did you upsell that book? Like just like yeah. in CTA in your articles? And... Yeah, we put it as a CTA in our articles. Um, I don't know if they pulled it out now, but it was there and they'd be like, oh, learn more ways about um, the retention playbook. Like if you look here, you see playbook amplitude comes up <laughs> so like if i just put in here and you can see the retention playbook will show up in mastering retention i think that's where they have it um there you go so did you did you um what's the kind of acv or like kind of yeah what's that like annual cost of something like amplitude like how much yeah amplitude acv when i started was like depends it can go anywhere from like two thousand dollars a month to like a month. It really depended on the enterprise, the company, the number of users you were tracking. So ACV, like to summarize, could be as low as $24,000 a month or as high as half a million or a million dollars, depending on the scale of the deployment. And the other part is that we had a free tier. 
So we also launched a free tier during my time where we said, hey, you get this stuff for free that someone's charging you $2,000 for. Mm-hmm. And so people were like, what? All right, I'll give you a shot. But you know, the ir- irony of all of this was it didn't create more free users. It created more people that paid $2,000 for us because they already had the $2,000 budget. We're like, hey, you get this for free. They're like, oh, so I get more for $2,000 from you than my current vendor. Uh, and yeah, it got more. It, it didn't get as many signups. What it did was it got more people to say, I'll buy your cheapest plan. Mm-hmm. So we didn't we didn't expect that. We were like, wait, what? We thought we'd get more free users. <laughs> no, we actually got more revenue from it. And it got more exposure because what we did, what Mixpal was doing for $2,000 a month, we were giving away for free. Oh, really? Did, yeah. So did that, so, okay, so it became like a no-brainer to to come with you guys and and we were talking their language for product people right and so it was like wait you're free you're talking the terms i care about okay i'm gonna go talk to you (laughs) and again like i I don't fundamentally believe in looking at competitors i'm just like oh cool you're there i see what you're doing but i'm not gonna like you're not gonna influence my strategy because oftentimes in terms of what you talk about demand creation and seo people look to other competitors to see what's going on versus looking to the customer and their problems, understanding their need. Yeah. And, and when you do that, you're, you're fighting somebody who may have built a moat. So you're hitting a wall and you're just going to constantly be in pain and sure you might get through like a year later, <laughs> but you're fighting where someone is, like you said earlier, going in a crowded lot and yelling versus, yeah. Oh, somewhere there not be as many people, but you get that signal to noise ratio. And this goes back to the earlier question you were saying, like, what's the quantity versus quality? Mm. And I think that really depends on the problem you're going after. If you're seeing that a lot of people are already producing a lot of content in that space and you're not seeing a clear winner, then you should go after it. If you're seeing like a bunch of people be in one to two, three spots and no one has one to three locked down, then you have a higher shot of going and getting it. That means they haven't built anything of substance that Mm -hmm. Google feels is substantial, at least for, you know, the SERP rankings. Mm. But if you see like somebody already owns one through three in a certain like area, you're going to have a very, very hard time breaking that down. Some areas are just, especially if you are like a young, uh, like a, a new startup or like someone with not like tons and tons of money. Like if you look at, if you start comparing your strategy with someone who has been investing in this for like years, like there's literally no point. Like, but I definitely agree with what you're saying. Like, as in focus on the, focus on the, like your customer and your particular prospect and uh, identify the needs they have. And then, and then I think, but then go to the search results, then see what's happening. Like you say, like then, figure out how you are different and go to that part of the search results. Like that's kind of like the, the video I shared today with, with Eli. Uh, sure. Yeah. It's, it's if you know how you're different, like you should build a moat that like there. And you, na- you nailed it, right? It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Of if you know how you're different and you know, your customer pain, it tells you where to go because you've done the work versus if you're looking like, Oh, I think it's this term. Oh, it's so packed. How do I do this versus have you really understood the customer pain? Have you understood what they're looking for? The need behind the need? Because that is where demand creation happens. Demand creation doesn't happen in areas where everyone's like, oh, I already know the need. I already know what's going on. It happens by doing that extra work of 
be like, oh, that's what it is. And okay, now I can do the work of seeing how to rank for this. And that's where it's, like I say, you'll find the nugget that matters to your customer there to do the demand creation because they tell you what they're looking for. And most likely people haven't done that work to get to that level of nuance. I, I think overall, this is why I don't agree that SEO is just a demand capture channel because I mean, for one, like you've told us a great, like a clear example there, but also ultimately what are the, all those other things that people do to create demand? And it's all about like understanding your target customers' problems, tapping into those, serving those needs, building awareness around what you do. SEO is just another channel to do that. It I makes- mean, it's exactly. And, and the thing is like, I, I believe this firmly demand creation, like in my head, if you like think about it, right. As owning all parts of marketing Demand creation is what you need to do, but what it really does if you're doing it correctly is allows you to define a category and whatever that category may be at Amplitude, it was product analytics, at Nutanix, another company I was at was hyper-converged infrastructure, at Synthego, it was genome engineering. But once you own that category, you own the perception of that category in your potential prospect's mind and you define that perception and you own your own channel at that point. And so once you own your own channel, that means that you can feed things to people and they're receptive of it. And you're not worried about X, Y, Z coming and doing this or that. You're very focused on what they care about, what matters to them. That, mm-hmm. That's that's where I feel like very strong. Like SEO is actually like a super lever for demand creation and category creation. And, you know, fun fact, what, uh, this entertaining to you, hopefully or not, is... Um, at Amplitude, we never went to Gartner or Forrester. Mm-hmm. They actually told us your market's too small for us to to work with. Really? Yeah, and I was like, okay, cool, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I have and, no idea. I, those are those are a little bit dodgy. Those companies, I think. I don't know if that's they. They, they are, and that's why I think you have the rise of G two <laughs> Trust Radius, all these companies because like the bigger IT shops would pay for them. But the problem was that that still didn't mean you owned a category just because they put you in a, in a category on a map and said, you're the leader or you're the new entry or whatever Um, in the hearts and minds of people who do the research and don't pay for these subscriptions, they're going online and looking for terms and clicking on articles that they feel will educate them. They're not going to Gartner and Forrester and paying them copious amounts of money for these reports. I won't talk about any specific examples actually, but I think like, it is possible if you network enough with those people at those companies that you can like ask them to carve out a new category for you. Right. And if you also, I'm sure if you pay them enough, I don't know how exactly it works, but like, I just think what's the point if it's biased towards companies with money, the more you pay, the more you Yeah. What's the point in, in that as a trusted source? Anyway, anyway, um, I, I wanted to ask just maybe like quickly, to to wrap up it's something i'm actually trying to ask everyone who comes on the podcast these days is about ai personally i think this is it's almost like we're ter- ha- having like a pivot point in marketing and the world of seo content creation all of that stuff if not now i think in 10 within 10 years it will be incredibly powerful as a tool what what's your take on that like how are you let's say are you using it how are you using it uh, has it changed your approach yeah no i i mean look i think you'd be you'd be under a rock if you ignored what's happening 
right? Yeah. Um, that, that's a bad move and I wouldn't like recommend it. And then anyone listening to this podcast, I'd say is like, start playing around, right? I play with chat, chat GPT every day. I use it literally like for brainstorming. I use it as like a companion partner that I like send things to and be like, hey, if I said this, what is the tone and, and speech and what is it conveying? They'll say X, Y, Z, I like modify it. And it's almost akin to, I don't know if you've ever watched Star Trek. I, I'm yeah, no, no. So yeah. It, it, long story short, right? It's like Captain Jean-Luc Picard is telling computer, do this and this and this for me. Yeah. And that's what I relate AI to, at least in its current phase of like, hey, I'm giving you something. I want you to do X, Y, Z, modify and spit it back out to me. Mm-hmm. And I think over time that will change in probably another two, three years where SEO rankings, I think will shift. I think they will catch AI written things because I don't think it's going to continue being the same of like you can put content out and it'll rank or you can take content, put an AI and it'll rank. I think they'll spot the AI. And I think what it'll do is it'll raise the bar for content to be more creative. Mm-hmm. And as always, I think, and I believe this very fundamentally, regards to technology shifts, the cream will rise to the top and the cream that rises to the top in this shift, I think will be the ones who are creative mm-hmm. in how they deliver that information and how it's engaging and how that information comes out. Like, you know, there's a great example someone, someone said, when someone says like, hey, show me, don't tell me. And I think a lot of SEO content is tell me right now, it's got to become show me. Mm-hmm. Meaning like, oh, the sun was so full versus I stepped out into the day and I glanced down at the puddle of water only to be startled by the reflection of the sun and its <laughs> brightness. So I had to look up to capture why it was so bright today. Like mm-hmm. one show me versus the other is tell me. And I think AI will never, well, not will never, it'll take a long time to get to that experiential part. Whereas humans that are creative that do that will rise to the top. And I think Google will reward that, not because it's more expensive, it's more engaging with emotion, right? Anything that has more emotion, it will engage somebody and they'll remember it and learn from it or internalize it. And I feel like AI will have, take some time to get there. Mm, it's true. I think what, what may, maybe my one challenge to that is I, you can tell ChatGPT to do that kind of stuff, can't yeah. you? So like where did, then what happens? And and also what something that Google is already trying to do is shifting towards like the EEAT thing, like the extra, like I've actually got experience. Let me tell you this kind yeah. of point of view, which I think is kind of what you're, you're saying as well. It's like, yep. it's much more rich and experience, like an article, the way you say it and everything is like more complete and real. You, you nailed it, right? ChatGP can say that. But ChatGPT can't give you intricate details in, like you said, the experiential journey. Like you can go and ask it like, and this is where regardless of how good you get prompt engineering, if you say, tell me the journey of a product manager in a mobile analytics company, what, how, what are the KPIs they'll be measured for? And they're like, they're traditionally measured for this and this. Okay. Give me more details and tell me intricate details of how the metric is calculated and tell me where they could fail. And you can iterate and get there but it still won't sound like a person who sat in the chair and done the work. Mm-hmm. It'll still sound like someone who's behind and observed things. Mm-hmm. And those little details, I think Google is going to get good at capturing because that's their core business. Yeah. There's no way they don't. If they do, if they don't, then that business is going to die. Yeah. Right. So I think it's just like they have a necessity to get good at this, to capture this AI. But I yeah. definitely, definitely think AI is going to be around. It's going to be used in a very creative manner. And I think the ones who use it more creative than others will benefit from it and accelerate and rapidly deploy and deliver things versus those who use it in a not creative manner won't be rewarded for it. I think, in fact, they'll probably be punished for it. And I think you'll start seeing a wave of that. Like, I mean, especially on LinkedIn, people will start being like, this sounds like ChatGPT wrote it. 
Yeah, yeah. Right. You can tell. And you nailed it. You can tell, right? Like, and when you can tell, and and how can you tell? You you said it perfectly. There's little nuances that show experience versus regurgitation. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right. I think you're right. And I also re- I really think you're right that although Google is saying AI is fine as long as it's helpful content now, I just if if the situation gets so crazy, they might change that. And there is a chance, right, that they they have to be extremely protective about like quality. And but well, I think people I've seen it. Other people make the point that like most search content right now is bad anyway, and like the cream of has to still rise to the top somehow. Um, yep. and nothing has to change in that regard. But I I I for one hope like it becomes more of a discovery platform in terms of like, if I type in like B2B marketing strategy, I want like the best people who've done like really interesting stuff to like teach me that and not not necessarily like your content manager. or, or Yeah, you, you've, you've nailed it, right? And I think the AI will actually help get there quicker is that you actually find people, I think Google over time, as you said, will become more like, how can I point you to people who are gurus and experts that have been in the seat versus a content manager who's just, writing things for writing versus doing the work. Mm-hmm. And I think Google, that might be the next way where they reward that much more than a regurgitator. And where it's like, hey, the more examples you put, where you link to other companies, like the little things, technical things of SEO will still be there. But I think those will go away. But to rise to the top, I think that that trend is going to shift mm-hmm. to what you're saying, at least in the short term and the longer term, depending on how smart AI gets and how these articles are written it may change completely. I was reading somewhere else where they were saying like, hey, it may just become a single answer box where um, I think Google has that where it says, oh, this is the answer and highlights the box. And it may just pick one winner for various <laughs> searches. And then you're like, holy shit, this is like a different game altogether now. <laughs> There's no. <laughs> but I, I do think already, like if you have a search, like what is X or definition, like Google already is like taking the definitions market for like words. Yep. But, and then the featured snippets are almost taking over like the what is definitions for more complex terms like business, like what is marketing. And then also the featured snippets is all taking a lot of that top spot anyway. But like it can't take long before AI just, just fulfills all of that, just like it is in Bing or whatever right now. Yep. Um, so, and that's, you nailed it, right? I think like, that market they own. And I think others, you called it out, like the expert stuff, I think will become more and more prominent. Like who are key experts I should follow for X topic. So like maybe more, more than, more than ever. I mean, focus on building authority, everybody, and also focus on yeah, leaning into like expert insights, stuff you can't get anywhere else, stuff that AI wouldn't write and then write topics that other people, that AI can't write as well. Like don't. Yeah. It- and I think the the biggest thing where AI works, and I don't think people should ignore this, right? I don't, I'm not dismissing AI is like, actually, like you have content ideas and you have topics and you have pain points and problems. I think brainstorming with AI right now is what's actually really useful without having to sit and do meetings and say, hey, what do you think are the top topics for this? Yeah. What are current issues that people witness in this role? And then like starting, it gets, it gives a great base point. Like instead of starting at zero, you start at like a six. Like you can get so much work so quickly. And then, yeah, you still have to do the, the hard work to get to the nine or 10 scale of where you're done with the work. But at least your time to do that has been reduced significantly. Yeah, I totally agree. 
it's 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 sort of how I'm using it now. And sometimes I'll be like, "Can you just rewrite this sentence? Give me five different options because I'm struggling yeah. with it." You know, like, just assist. exactly, it, exactly. You still have to have that initial like start, but it gets you there so much quicker. Yeah, yeah. Right, like, like here's an example. Um, like I'll take like podcast transcripts that I find really interesting. I'll be like, "Hey, highlight. Can you find these points and summarize them for me?" And then I'll take those and be like, cool, can I make a LinkedIn post out of this? Mm, nice. Yeah. Right. Um, and it's like, I got value. Others may get value. How do I put it into terms that they'll get value? Because yeah. chat GPT is not going to give me that value. But I, as a person who sat in that seat, knows what's going to be a value. How do I write it in ways that I can tell it how to write it? Did it write it? And then I'll take it and edit it and put it in my own words. But it'll give me like 60% to 70% of the stuff already that I need. Yeah. It's a, Yeah. It's, I think it's a really good point that the quality of the output is as good as the input. And if it just scrapes from the internet, you don't know what that input is. But if you give it what your insight, your podcast transcript, your your point of view, then it can write it for you. But yeah, I think you can even tell it what you could even say, this is my tone of voice. This is how I typically write. Here's like a paragraph. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I've actually like done that, but then I still have to edit and manipulate it myself. Okay, so Perfect. Yeah, it's too obvious. Yeah. Yeah. It's too exactly you nailed it. Anyway, cool. so, yeah, thanks, thanks so much. Like, um, it's been great having you on the show. Uh, this was a great episode. So, um, yeah, no, thank you for having me on the show. Really enjoyed it. And as always, if folks out there want any advice or want to chat, um, you can always find me on LinkedIn at Dithya Vempati or message me on Twitter A V E M I I. Um, always happy to help pay it forward. It's, it's one of the fun things of being at early stage companies. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. And that's the end of the episode. Thank you so much, guys, for listening all the way to the end. Um, if you don't already, now is a good opportunity for me to plug the newsletter, which goes out every week to 6,000 or so people. Um, and I'm getting a lot of good feedback on it. Um, we talk about insights from this episode, from, from all of the episodes. We talk about things that are happening in the world of SEO right now. I talk about um, growth strategies I'm using and I'm working on um, and that are working for me and my clients um, and various other things that you don't get on my LinkedIn, you don't get in this podcast. So if you're looking to learn a lot more from How The Fuck and myself and our guests, head over to thefuck.com, that's T-H-F-X-C-K.com and see what you think of the newsletter. Thank you, until next week.